But it's also, I think, at some point, a matter of, you know, just where you are in the journey of life, right? So I'm, I, my children are mostly grown, um, you know, I mean, they are grown. Um, you know, I'm not focused on, in, in the same way, I'm not focused on fathering that I would have been 10, 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, and I'm different, you know? just by the the nature of getting older is like you know my things change i'm interested in different things hello you are listening to the late bloomer living podcast episode 14 and i'm yvonne marchese your host this week i'm talking to a dear friend joe o'callahan he's a social worker in the stanford school system here in connecticut with a specialty in trauma and grief counseling and his own private practice Today, we're talking about his journey inward and starting to write poetry for the first time in his life as part of his contemplative practice and becoming a leader for others who want to deepen their own Christian contemplative practice. Now, please don't stop listening because you heard the word Christian. I know some of you might think this isn't for you, but I think you'll be surprised if you stick around and be warned, it's a longer episode than usual. Um, But we went deep, folks, and I just couldn't edit out the good stuff. Well, heck, I don't want to make it any longer. Let's go. Hey, Joe. Hey, Yvonne. How are you? I am good. Well, all things considered, yes, good. (laughs) Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Um, So good morning. Wow. So I I just want to say the reason I sound so weird to to you people out in podcast land is that I'm back from vacation and I'm frankly a little off kilter. I think that's part of it, Joe. We were just talking about, I'm feeling a little fraudulent this morning, Yeah, <laughs> but it, we might get back to that anyway, yeah. but I am so glad to have you here. And um, so Joe is just, you know, just a little introduction. Joe is my husband's best friend. And one of my dear friends, and uh, I'm just I'm so happy that you're here with me. And I'm so um, I'm I'm getting a little bit clumped. I'm so excited that you uh, said yes. To well, me. I'm so excited you asked me. This is really fun. I'm I've been lis- <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast since you started, and I've really enjoyed it. So I'm happy and honored to participate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, So I want to talk to you today about um, your, where you're at now. Um, Because, so Joe is, I probably will say all this in the intro anyway, but Joe is a psychologist or psychologist, right? Social worker. Social Social worker is your actual, okay, cool. See, I should have cleared that up ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And but I'm, I'm really interested in where you're heading next. Cause I, I know you're in the middle of changes and you have been for a couple of years. Um, not that you're moving away from social work necessarily, but that you're taking on additional um, challenges and new things that you're incorporating into your life. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm really excited to hear about is what started you down those new paths if you think back a little bit, or get yeah. background, you know? Sure. So I've been a social worker for about 30 years. Um, and primarily I've worked in public education. 
Um, and um, I, I do a lot of, I'm, I'm a supervisor of social workers. So I do a lot of training and a, a lot of skill development for social workers and supervision of social workers. Um, and you know, that's a, there's a lot to that, a lot of different pieces to that. Um, in addition to that, I'm also a psychotherapist and have a small psychotherapy practice that's been focused on um, helping people who grieve um, a loss. And I've been doing that for, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years um, in addition to, to my work in the schools. But I think what, what you're talking about is um, another piece of, of that, an extension of that work that's been um, the development of um, a contemplative practice. Um, and uh, what that means is um, things like what people think of as like mindfulness and those kinds of practices. And so I got interested in mindfulness I don't know, 15 years ago, um, for a variety of reasons, which very much surprised me because I'm, I'm very much an extroverted kind of person. Um, actually much less so now in my middle age than I was when I was younger. Oh, that's but, interesting. You know, anybody huh. who knows me knows I'm pretty extroverted. Um, generally have a lot to say, like to be around people, get a lot of, um, stimulation from that. Um, again, that's changed. Uh, but um, so, but I did get interested in this con in in um, mindfulness as a tool um, to help me um, with different parts of my life, um, and I took that from from that sort of secular mindfulness practice point of view to thinking about that in relationship to my own faith. So I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, and so um, began to think about. Um, contemplative practices, the more broad term, mindfulness being one contemplative practice, uh -huh. um, as how that might enhance my own spiritual life. Um, because in, in my spiritual practice, and particularly in my prayer life, there's, I never had any kind of um, particularly contemplative way of kind of addressing that. So it's always been, you know, sort of your typical um, prayer life of, you know, asking for things or, you know, mm -hmm. communal prayers in church and things like that. Um, so I, I started to get more interested in this quieter, more self-reflective um, way of um, praying, which looks a lot like, you know, any other kind of mindful kind of quiet meditative practice. Yeah. Um, so I got interested in that. Um, so let me ask you a question. Yeah, I want to sure. back up a little bit to when you started um, looking at, at mindfulness as a practice, as you mentioned, in a, in a more secular way. What was happening for you that led you to looking into that? Yeah, so, um, so I, I guess a couple things were going on. One is I was... Um, <clears throat> exploring more and more the literature and um, treatment uh, in, in the social work psychotherapy world uh, for people who've had traumatic experiences. So people who would suffer from what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. um, and how to help people um, with that particular um, problem. Um, and also at the time I began to teach at New York University in their social work school um, and so I was teaching um, kind of what we call practice classes, which is the how-to. So I was teaching about psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And one of the psychotherapies that I was teaching about is something called dialectical behavioral therapy. 
which is a whole other conversation, but it brings together some Eastern practices like mindfulness with some Western psychological practices. Hmm. Um, and so it, all of that was sort of stimulating my interest in this um, practice of kind of calming the body, calming the mind, slowing yourself down. Um, and, and that was, you know, reacting to how can I help the kids, particularly in the school that I'm working with, to do some of that because we know that people who are traumatized are often sort of like on, on hyper vigilance, like mm -hmm. ready to go at any minute. So um, helping them just sort of bring it down a little bit. So that was one aspect. And then the other aspect was I began to be a member of a men's group, which was a group of men looking at the spiritual life. And one of the men invited me to go on a retreat with a famous um, priest named Richard Rohr. So I went, I went on this, what's called a men's, um, a men's rite of passage retreat, um, five days out in, uh, in, uh, Illinois. Um, and the idea behind the, the men's rite of passages is, is that, um, in our culture today, men do not get initiated into manhood the way they would have in more indigenous cultures. Mm -hmm. And so some of the idea behind that is that that leads to bad manning <laughs> uh, <laughs> men who are, you know, violent and aggressive and badly behaved and um, think the only way to live is to, you know, make more money and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So this, this was an initiation retreat, which included a lot of practices of what we call centering prayer, which is a Christian mindfulness kind of practice. And, um, and it culminated with a day of about 12 or 15 hours. I'm not, I don't remember exactly where you had to go off by yourself into the woods, um, set up a 10 by 10 area in the woods where you had to stay by yourself for 12, 15 hours um, with no books, no watch, no cell phone, none of that. Um, and, uh, you know, um, become more mindful. <laughs> Just be there. <laughs> Just be there. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. So anyway, so, so those two things that sort of, the world of uh, psychology and social work that I worked in and my spiritual practices all sort of came together at that time to get me thinking about having a more internal dialogue with myself and from there with, with um, what I would call God. Um, and so that began this practice of um, uh, centering prayer, which is generally the, the kind of way I will do that, which looks you know, if you looked at me while I was centering, doing centering prayer, you would think I was doing any meditative practice. You know, it's all, it's all very similar stuff. So, so anyway, I got very interested in that and started to do that. Um, and that's probably about 15 years ago now, I guess, 12, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's been that long. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know that, um, I have to tell you, I don't know if I, if I mentioned that I, I didn't even think about this until, uh, until this moment. When John first told me about you, when, uh oh, <laughs> that, that was a long time ago. <laughs> when we, well, okay. So, so for those who don't know, John and I met on a theater tour. So we had three and a half months in a van together. And, uh, I knew and, that. <laughs> and John, you know, we, we traded stories for a long time and, uh, a lot of it were the people in his life that were significant to him you being one of them. He was, uh, he would tell me about you, Dan, you know, so on. So, um, 
lots of good stories. And one of the things he told me about you is that he thought that you, you would have become a priest if you hadn't fallen in love with Daniela, maybe. I don't well, know. Is that true? No, he doesn't I've have I've never that. asked you about this. He doesn't have that quite right. Um, uh -huh. So there was a time in my young life where I thought about being a priest. Um, uh, it, it, coin it did coincide with the time I began to spend with my wife, Daniela, um, but I never um, pursued that in any real way. Um, right. It was more of a something I was thinking about, um, you know, because I, so I, so, you know, as we've sort of been talking about, um, I work in social work, which is a service oriented way of working, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then I obviously have a, a, um, a spiritual life. So when I was a young man, both of those things were there and how to best put them together. Um, and at the time, you know, the model I had for that were, uh, was the, the priest, mm -hmm. um, in my own particular life, I was very lucky, um, that I knew some priests, uh, two priests actually, who were quite extraordinary human beings. So, um, so it, it made a lot of sense for me to think about that, but it was never anything I actually tried to pursue, um, for a lot of reasons that, you know. Mm -hmm. we could go into, um, that were not specifically about, uh, Daniela. Um, they, that was, that was, a another barrier to that, but not the primary barrier. Gotcha. And that just may have been something I added in. Um, well, no, he probably said that he probably did possibly. Yeah. Um, and then I know that at some point or another, I mean, you and I have talked a lot about, um, the Catholic church and, and, mm -hmm. and such, and, and, you know, I, 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 um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I stand. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not the person of strongest faith in the world as far as um, the, the rights of the Catholic church and everything else. I have my own, my own struggles with it. But Welcome to I the do, club. Right. But I do remember you telling me maybe before this, this change into the contemplative practice that you've taken on that you felt like, um, your understanding was a very intellectual understanding that you, you are very knowledgeable about Christ the Catholic tradition, the, um, the way a mass is structured, you've got all that down. And yeah. I think I remember you telling me once that you felt like it was a more intellectual thing for you and you wished it was deeper. Yeah, so I, I, I yes, I'm, I'm sure I said that to you. Um, I guess my experience of it, which I think is pretty typical of people who've grown up in Western Christian traditions, not just a Catholic one, is that it's been very intellectualized. Um, mm -hmm. So you learn the, you know, you learn the rules, you learn the, um, the prayers, you learn the, uh, you know, the catechism, you know, um, the Ten Commandments, all that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in anybody's life, if you want to be um, a member of some spiritual tradition, you have to know something about it. Um, and so that's sort of the beginning for people and certainly was for me. Um, but I think in the Western tradition, it sort of ends there. We become these sort of very, um, you know, intellectualizing of 
of the religious tradition and then the 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 faith becomes about the institution not about um god however one might describe god so um so for me i think probably when i said that to you i had um i had learned a great deal about the institution of christianity mm -hmm. um but more than more than your average person, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I'm interested in it. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things that are, you know, I'm curious about those things that in a way that a lot of people probably aren't. Um, but, you know, it didn't it didn't spark any kind of. Um, well, I, I guess what I'm saying is God was. Through the institution of church as opposed to anything else. And so I think these contemplative practices that I'm talking about began to shift that focus from an understanding or an appreciation of God as this thing that happens at church or in the intellectualizing of it all or in the mm -hmm. book I read about something or whatever mm -hmm. to a personal um, experience of God in some way. Mm -hmm. From the communal ritual um, of the once a week, or even even people who do daily, right, to a more personal. Yeah. So moving away from, I mean, so mm -hmm. so many people, and, and you know, I mean, it's it's a little unfair to sort of make it black and white, like it's one or the other. I mean, I've got right. I've had plenty of really deeply religious personal experiences within the community framework. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, from a Christian perspective, community has to be part of it. Yes. Um, but, yeah. yeah, but, um, but, but I, but I don't think that I ever really thought about my own personal experience of the transcendent, the mystical, um, you know, beyond sort of the church piece of it. So, um, so beginning to have some kind of contemplative practice began to get me thinking more deeply about God in a, in a, I think in a deeper way. Yeah. Can you, I know, explain to me a little bit about the Christian contemplative practice, like the tradition of it and, and its yeah. origins and, and all that, because yeah. I know there's more to it than so I'm not a historian of these things. So whoever's listening, who's going to say, well, that's not right. And, you know, <laughs> you're probably right. I probably got it wrong. Um, but, you know, the, 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 um, I would say that the, the contemplative tradition starts with Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus is a very uh, prayerful person who's always in constant communication with God, right? There's, <clears throat> excuse me, all these experiences in the Bible where Jesus is, you know, talking to God you know mm -hmm. um and um anyway then there's the you know that after that the community begins where his disciples and other people begin to form these small christian communities uh people who were um connecting to to god um and over time um you know they get very connected to you know after the period where the church is sort of outcast and illegal in the roman empire and all of that once that's over and um, you know, it becomes a uh, religion that's accepted or even becomes the state religion. You know, when Constantine decides to become a Christian, the, the Emperor Constantine, mm -hmm. um, things change and it becomes very much part of the culture. And at that time, there's all of these people 
who, um, you know, uh, are very concerned about uh, the church becoming just one more institution of the, of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And um, so these people start going out into the desert, um, into the, uh, the Egyptian desert and the, and the uh, deserts around the Middle East um, mm-hmm. to live as hermits. Um, and so we get this tradition called the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers. And so there's these, you know, sort of somebody described them as um, Christianity's first psychotherapists. So mm-hmm. there's these people who are living out in the middle of nowhere um, spending their time in prayer and contemplation and trying to get closer to God, um, you know, leaving, leaving the city of Alexandria or wherever they might have been um, and doing that. And then people start going out to see them. Hmm. And, you know, like you're going to go see the guru, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and they would say to them, you know, Father, give me a word. And, uh, you know, and then the, 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 uh, the father or the mother in the desert would talk to them about faith, about God, about spirituality. So that, that's sort of a beginning of um, what's, what's called the contemplative tradition. But then what ends up happening is monasteries begin to be built. Um, and monasteries, you know, sort of go all over Western Europe. And um, so monks go into monasteries and nuns go into convents and, mm-hmm. So they sort of get the job of praying for the rest of us, right? Hmm. So um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was talking about how Muslims pray five times a day, or I think it's five times a day. And I said, well, Christians uh, pray seven times a day. He says, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, in monasteries. There's a a tradition in in Christianity, too, of, of praying all the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, so in a monastery, a monk is going to get up early in the morning and go to prayers, morning prayer, and then there's going to be prayers during the work day and so on. Um, so all of that sort of goes into the monastery. And mm-hmm. so the rest of us just go to church, right? Mm-hmm. And then go about your life. And, you know, and obviously there's all kinds of different things that happen, but um, more and more the job of developing your spiritual life is left to the people in the monasteries and you and me just develop our regular lives and show up on Sunday mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of do what we're told. And the church also doesn't want you or me then, I think this is less now, but to have any kind of direct experience or relationship with God, they want it to be mediated by the church mm-hmm. because that gives the church power and control, right? right? Mm-hmm. So if I sit in my backyard and have a personal experience of God, what do I need them for? You know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's all these concerns about that. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. But. That's fascinating. I do have a, a, an additional question. Yeah. And you, and you did. Um, it sparked another question for me, which is the, the, the people that originally were heading out to the desert, uh, the men and women who did that, are there any writings yeah, from yeah. them? Yeah, it's called the Sayings of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. So that's an actual printed tome. Yeah, I have I have a copy. Oh. Um and and they're wisdom sayings. They're not it's not like um you know, uh, it's not like a uh, a book uh, that mm-hmm. somebody wrote. It's, you know, like these little small little sayings that that people said. And some of them are very difficult to kind of get your head around like what the heck's he talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Cuz you also have to remember these are 4th century people. 
you know, they're not 21st century people. So sometimes they're saying things that don't make any sense to people like me and you. Right. Um, and were they writing them down themselves or were these um, documented by the people who went to see them? Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a guy whose name is escaping me at the moment who um, collects all of these sayings and, and they end up in, you know, getting put down in, uh, in these books. Um, so no, they don't write them down themselves. Mm-hmm. They just, they go out to the desert. They live their lives in the desert as these hermits. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people go and say, you know, tell me, and somebody says something and they write it down and that's how it kind of goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so not but, all that dissimilar from uh, the, the gospels being written by. Yeah. You know, similar, like, similar know, thing. Yeah. yeah. So but, it's but, but, straight from. But here's the interesting thing. You didn't know about this. Right. Mm-hmm. So no. m- meaning that, you know, yeah. that lifelong that, Catholic. Know, no yeah, idea. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, I guess, so, somewhat of the point I'm making is that, you know, the church doesn't want you to really deal with that. You know, mm-hmm. um, we want you to sort of stay in the lane, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so people don't, you know, generally know about them or they're used, you know, they're just, you know, the historians talk about them or the theologians talk about them, but nobody like you and me. Uh, and the rest of us go, Ooh. yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And, you, you don't d- dive into that. Uh, yeah. And there's, and you know, like in the, in the. Seems esoteric maybe to most right, people. And, exactly. Like in the Zen tradition, there's all these koans, you know, which is a, a mm-hmm. saying that the master will say to the student and then the student's got to figure out what the heck that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, some of them are like that, you know, you're really like, what? And and, you know, and generally you blow it off and go, I don't know what that was and you move on. But if you stay with it, you know, like anything else, you know, and, and spend some time sort of meditating on what you've read or heard, um, it might speak to you in some way or another. So, hmm. so it's an interesting thing. Yeah. 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 So, so this all started for you 10 or 15 years ago, 15? Yeah, probably about 15 years ago. Okay. Gotcha. And um what would you say has been your personal experience of, you know, of that in your life? How, how has that touched your life? Yeah. So uh, the first word that came to mind was inconsistent mm-hmm. um, because I have had a really hard time developing a, um, a contemplative practice that I've stuck with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, sometimes I'm, I'm on it you know, and I do it all the time. And other times it's, you know, like, oh, I should probably think about that, you know. Um, So it's been an inconsistent practice. Um, Mm -hmm. However, um, what I have found is, is this is kind of what I've told people over the years when they've asked me about it is um, that when I have a consistent contemplative practice, my life is better. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean anything's different in my life. I'm still married to the same person. I still have the same children. I still live in the same house. I still have the same job, but my life is better. Um, when I get up in the morning and sit for 20 minutes um, and, uh, and do that regularly, I have a better life. Yeah. So I, that was, that actually folds into my next question for you, which is what does it look like when it is regular for you? What, what does that practice look like? Yeah. When it's regular for me, what it looks like is I get up early in the morning and I sit somewhere, either in my living room or outside, depending on the weather and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I will sometimes read something. Um, it might be a scriptural passage. It might be a poem. It might be something else. It might be nothing. And I sit 
uh, for about 20 minutes. Um, and I focus my attention on my breathing, just like you would if, you know, you were at any meditation class and the teacher said, okay, pay attention to your breathing, relax your shoulders, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. I do that. And I just try and quiet my mind. Um, I don't, I don't try and stop my mind from thinking of thoughts it's thinking. I don't try and, um, push it all away. I try and just let it be. So one of the things I do is I think of my mind as like a river and my thoughts as a boat, as boats on the river. And they're all packed in really tight. And here they come into my brain all day long, right? <laughs> and so my contemplative practice is a, is one of trying to space the boats out a little bit mm -hmm. so that maybe there's a little bit of room in here where I can maybe dive deeper into the river down to the bottom to see what's going on, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So it's, so it's that. So it's about 20 minutes of that. Um, I usually finish with some sort of prayer, um, generally something, um, some kind of prayer of gratitude um, for, you know, all the things I have in my life, generally my family, my friends, those sorts of things. Sometimes I pray for John, not usually, but sometimes. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then I get up and go about my day. Yeah. So um, when I'm really on it, and this is very unusual, but when I'm really on it, I'll do that. And then around noontime, I'll close my office door and do another 10 minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. And then before I go to bed, I'll do another 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'm, that's when I'm, you know, kind of holy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but when I, when I'm at my best in terms of my spiritual practice and disciplines, I'll try and do three times a day, 20 minutes in the beginning, 20 minutes at the end, and, um, something like 10 minutes in the middle. Sometimes I, sometimes I don't sit, sometimes I walk, um, you know, there's no, sometimes I lie down like at the end of the night. Um, generally I try not to do that too much because usually I just fall, fall asleep. asleep. Right, right. But, um, what do you find knocks you off course from, from keeping that going? Joe O'Callaghan is his name. <laughs> um, what knocks me off course? Well, so busyness, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, you know, just so many things going on in my life. Um, I'm not a particularly organized person. Mm -hmm. um, in education, so, you know, working in education, you hear this, these phrases all the time. Um, people will say they're concrete, sequential, or they're random, abstract, right? <laughs> you know, and that's I just... I am fairly random and abstract. <laughs> yeah, well, I am absolutely 100% random and abstract. So, so, it's, so that being said, it's a really hard for me to um, be disciplined about things. Mm -hmm. It's just not a, it's not a gift I have. Mm -hmm. um, so when I am disciplined about things, it's usually kind of miraculous. Yeah. Um, so I would say probably my primary things that things that thing that knocks me off course is that, that my, my lack of discipline. And I don't mean that to mean like, you know, um, not trying hard enough. Uh, it's more really just a um, sort of a, it's just a trait of mine. That's, just the life distractions. Like it's just, it's just a challenge of the, of the person I am, you know, yeah. like, you know, whatever, you know, like th there are things about us that are just hard for us. 
you know, mm-hmm. that aren't because of whatever's happened or because, you know, I would be that way if I lived by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was on the mountaintop um, devoting my life to meditation, I would still be challenged by it. So I'm going to flip that on its on its ear um, and and ask when it when you are able to get yourself to that space, what have you found works for you to to get yourself to that regularity? What what are the what are the things that you do do? You know? Yeah. So I I mean I guess. Um, I would say that the things that work for me are the, you know, um, the making of that agreement with myself mm-hmm. that, you know, no matter what, I'm going to do this anyway, mm-hmm. you know, and, and usually the distractions aren't that, you know, my family's around cause it's five o'clock in the morning. Nobody's around, but me. Um, are you up but, anyway? Um, like every day, whether or not you're doing this, is that just, you're up typically. at five, no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Which it's is, not about setting alarm. It's no, well, I mean, decision that that you have to make. Yeah, it's it's you know I'll get so I'll get you know so one of the things that's a um, a challenge for me is um, that it conflicts with exercising with John. So uh-huh. John and I, John and I exercise together every morning, um, most mornings, and so you know I would have to get up a little earlier to do that or do right. it after I exercise with him. So either way, it's challenging. Um, So, so what, but what does work is, you know, deciding to make a commitment to myself that, that, um, okay, you know, today I'm going to do this and, and knowing, I think part of it, Yvonne, is knowing that nothing is going to change. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing, there's, there's nothing to it. Right. I'm going to sit here quietly for 20 minutes. Big deal. Right. Uh, Everything will be the same in my life, you know, except for me eventually. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's hard to know that. So for example, this morning I wasn't feeling well, but I, I did my 20 minutes and afterwards I was still in the bad mood that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. still God, I a, hate that. I yeah. know that happens for me some days too. Cause right. I used to be really very irregular, like stepping into doing meditation or, you know, some sort of practice. Um, and I do guided meditations cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no good just sitting by myself. <laughs> awful. <laughs> I need a little bit of, I need a little bit of guidance. Um, and so so for so many years, I would dip in and out yeah. and dip in and out yeah. and, and never got regular with it at all. And maybe two, it's probably, it's been at least a year, maybe two now that I, I got regular with it. Um, and uh, getting up early before everybody else is totally the key for me. Yeah. And, um, and I totally hear you about those days that, um, I wake up and, and, and things are feeling heavy and dark. And, um, there's some days when I meditate and it, it, it all lightens up afterwards, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, thank goodness I did that. And then there's the days that doesn't work and it's like, what the heck? Yeah. Why did I bother with that? Why did I bother? Exactly. And then then there's the days where I'm sitting there and I'm like, um, okay. I have a lot of other things to do. 
Yeah. So I, I, um, <laughs> so I, you know, I write poetry and, um, one day I got up, it was, it, this is probably 10 years ago. It was early in the morning and I sat in my living room and had this really great meditation mm -hmm. and wrote a little poem about it called morning prayer. The next day I got up and had an anxiety attack. Um, <laughs> and and said screw this and walked away from it and wrote a poem about that called the empty chair so, <laughs> so and that, those are those are you know monday and tuesday of that week and whatever Hilarious. year that was and that's yeah. why it's called a practice right exactly exactly right? yeah right. because it's you know it's exactly right and i think you know and the i think for me the other thing that's challenging is trying not to get into the um the head game of uh, you know, blaming myself or, um, you know, n noticing every fault I ever had in my life, um, mm -hmm. either when I'm doing it or when I refuse to do it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I do sit down and, and, and do my, my, my meditation, I will um, be overwhelmed with feelings of you know, whatever, um, anxiety, sadness, anger, frustration, uh, guilt, um, generally relating to, to who I am, mm -hmm. you know, um, or who I'm not, maybe is a better way to put it. Mm. Um, and well, actually on the days that I do it really well and have that experience, those, those, um, reactions are about who I am on the days that I don't do it and have that similar reaction, um, those are more about who I'm not. Because if because who I want to be is the guy with his butt in the chair. Right. Um, but I don't always put my butt in the chair. And and when I do, it's not always helpful. It's sometimes it's worse mm -hmm. to put your butt in the chair than to to watch TV because mm -hmm. or to, you know, look at your email or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, anything to distract. Right. Yeah. The buffers. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's it's all, it's all, uh, you know. But 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 back to what you said about practice. It's when the practice is is there. When I do practice, like I said in the beginning, ultimately I'm different. Mm -hmm. My day is different. My reaction to things is different. Um, I might have had no great experience of God or anything else during the 20 minute time, but I have a really good experience of my day mm. in some way or another, even if it's a hard day, mm -hmm. um, which it often is, you know, cause that's life. Um, so those are, yeah. Well, you brought up your, your poetry, which I'm, that's one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, when did you start writing poetry so the the two things um sort of go together so um you know the contemplative practice and the poetry writing so um it's you know it's when you uh um so i probably wrote my first poem in like 2011 mm -hmm. um and it's total crap um and um was surprised that I wrote a poem. I've never written a poem in my life. I didn't really? read. Not, not before then. Wow. Um, I wasn't interested in poetry. I didn't read poetry. Um, 
I didn't, you know, wasn't something that was a focus at all in my life until I wrote that poem. And I wrote that poem sort of, I don't know, just out of nowhere, it just sort of came to me. And then I started to do that. Um, and um, so I've been writing poetry ever since. And and that's that's a lot like my contemplative practice. There's a lot of fits and starts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know Anne Lamont, the writer Anne Lamont. Yeah, yeah. So she's got this great, um, you know, twelve things you need to do kind of thing. And one of them is put your butt in the chair and do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't put my chair, my butt in the chair and do it. I sort of just wait for inspiration to come my way. Right. Which which it does sometimes and sometimes not. But um, so yeah, it was about 2011 that I probably wrote the first poem that I wrote, um, and I've been writing poems since. And you know, there it's 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 all very connected. You know, I also said in the beginning of this conversation that when I was most of my life, I've been very extroverted, and there's less of that in my life now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they all go together. You know, um, I think I've been wrestling with the idea of being of trying to be more fully myself and more fully fully myself um in a way that's not just external to me meaning that um you know if somebody asks you tell me about yourself so what am I going to say? I'm going to say, well, I'm a social worker. I'm a mm-hmm. dad. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. I'm a this, I'm a that. I'm white. I've got gray hair. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that are not, that are external to me. Those are things I relate to. Right. And the gray hair is not external to me, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they're, you know, being a husband is in relationship to my wife, obviously, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think what's what's happened to one of the things that's happened to me over the time that I've tried to develop this practice is trying to be finding out more about who I am just in relationship to me and for me in relationship to God, mm-hmm. which are not, you know, that's not a, I don't, I don't experience God. And I think this is part of the mystical, mystical tradition of Christianity and other other traditions as well as God and I aren't somehow separate. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm part of God, um, just as you are and everything else. So, but, but who, who is Joe O'Callaghan at the core, at the center is the question that's been, I've been asking for years, I guess, in a way that I wasn't asking before, Mm. before I was saying, who is Joe O'Callaghan? Um, and so is he a guy who's going to become a priest? Mm-hmm. No, he's a guy that's going to get married and be a social worker. And what's he going to do next? He's going to buy a house and then they're going to have a kid and then they're going to da 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 da, right? Mm-hmm. And so as Carl Jung says, especially for men, you spend the first half of your life climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. And then if you're lucky, you spend the rest of your life trying to come back down. <laughs> so for me, I've I've had a very sloppy, awkward, not very successful time of trying to, I take back the not successful. Um, but sloppy, I was going to call you on that. <laughs> I know, but a sloppy, awkward experience of trying to be fully me. Mm-hmm. Um, and being Do you full- feel like the poetry is 
well, maybe I guess the contemplative practice and the poetry are hand in hand. Apart yeah, they're, of that. They're, the, they're the same thing. They're the same um, thing. Contemplative practice. I mean, poetry is a contemplative practice, mm-hmm. the, both the reading of it and the writing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, as I've gotten older and since I've started this journey, it's been one of trying to be to understand as much as I can about this person you see in front of you. Um, and you know, and that's been good and bad and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and most of it's been kind of neutral, you know, like, okay, nothing's happening today. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Whatever. (laughs) Um, so, so they, so it, so they being less extroverted, um, writing poetry, having a contemplative practice and some other things that I've been trying to incorporate into my life more recently, which you know about exercising, Mm -hmm. um, eating right, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things are all part of that too. Um, that, that have been, you know, real struggles for me in, in addition. So, yeah. Um, you have turned me on to poetry, uh, through but by the way we didn't even talk about the fact that you through breathing space um, yes that you've been leading contemplative practice for other people right um and that's that's i think where you've um through through your instagram feed and through some different things and also through just having participated in those with you you've turned me on to mary oliver thank you Mm -hmm. so much oh my gosh um (laughs) and uh you know, what is that experience of leading like for you? So, yeah, so I've, um, so you're, as you said, I, I, I'm, I'm for sure a leader and have led a lot of things. Um, and, um, so it's a double-edged sword. Um, I like to lead, um, you know, I lead in my job. I'm the I'm the leader of the social workers, and um, and I lead in the, you know the ministry work that I've done over the years. And uh, breathing space is the sort of newest place that I'm leading. Um, and um, what it's like for me is mostly a, a very positive, um, um, you know fulfilling energetic experience that I get from you, you get know, energy from being yeah, up in front yeah. of people and doing yeah, it they, right for yeah. for you know and especially if it's about something that I really care about because mm-hmm. um, you know not everything I lead is something I necessarily am all that interested in you know or I used to be interested in I'm less interested now or something like that yeah um but but when it's something that's really important to me um I find it to be really energetic and um, and a joyful experience. So, for example, breathing space, which is this um, community of people that I've, I'm trying to develop to um, help people develop their own contemplative practices. Um, and I really started it uh, because I see so much um, contemplative practice in our world. That's that's um, you know, yoga and meditation retreats and mindfulness and all this stuff, all wonderful things. And nobody knows that in their own, because a lot of people are, you know, 
obviously Christians or grew up Christians don't even know that there's a tradition in their own tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I partly started it to help people understand that. Um, but I mostly started it so I could have a community of people that I could practice with mm-hmm. besides just myself. Does that, is that one of the things maybe that helps you when you're really on target and you're really staying, has it, have you noticed any link between leading uh, practice with breathing space and with your own personal practice? Do yeah, they go so hand in hand? I think so. I think um, so. So breathing space has, has had a kind of a hiatus because of the coronavirus and right. all of that. I had all kinds of intentions for the spring that <laughs> didn't happen. Um, but yes, I think when I'm, when, when I'm doing better personally, I'm, I have more to give to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and I, right before we got on, Danielle and I were talking and, and she said something about, you know, it probably would have been good to do something with breathing space during this coronavirus time. And I agreed with her and, you know, she walked out of the room and then I felt a little guilty. And then I thought to myself, except I couldn't right? because I was too concerned about whatever and wasn't able to bring myself there, you know, yeah. in whatever way I wanted to. Yeah. So, so yes, I think that when I'm, when I'm doing well with my own practice, it enhances my um, ability to, to be available for other people. And Does that, it go that's the other way. Does, do you find that it goes the other way too? That when you, when you find yourself doing, doing it for other people, does it feed back into your personal practice? Yes and no. I, I think one of the things that, you know, in that I've discovered, and I think most people have discovered this notion of self-care mm-hmm. over the last bunch of years. And um, so when I was trained in social work, forget the spirituality stuff, but when I was trained in social work, we didn't talk about our own self-care. Mm. Um, we really, we sort of talked about ourselves as, you know, um, you know, pieces of stone that are just objectively listening to these stories. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, over the years, I've heard a lot of stories that are very painful Yeah, um, that people go through. And of course, they affect my life as well, um, even though they're not my story. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so trying to, so I think part of my own self-care process has also been the development of, of some of this um, these practices. So to answer your question though, so if I'm not taking good care of my own spiritual life, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to help you take care of your spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Um, I can fake it back to the fraudulent thing. Yeah. You know, I can, I can have a good conversation with someone. Um, it's not faking it. That's, that's an, that's ridiculous thing to say, but, um, but it's, you know, I'm better when I'm, when I'm, when I'm focused myself, you have a deeper um, well. I, I do. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a good way to put it. It's a yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I find, um, it's interesting, like that extrovert introvert thing. I find that I can be or appear extroverted, but my, my real self is very introverted and mm. I have to have time to myself not obligated to anybody else in order to, to refill that well. 
um, to get that energy back so that I can then step back into being with other people, especially in large group situations. Uh, One-on-one, this type of conversation completely feeds me, you know? Um, And I think that's why I decided to do a podcast is because it's just such a great, because it's hard to have conversations like this in real life. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's very how hard. How often do we sit down and talk like this? But I think I think your point is a is a really good one about this idea that you need time for you to be able to be the things you need to be for other people. Uh-huh. Um, and the problem is that we live in a world where that's just not acceptable. Uh-huh. Um, it's you know it's not okay for Yvonne to say, um, you know, I need to just go off by myself and not do anything. And this might, you might be the only person that it's not okay with, you know, like you feel guilty about it or whatever. Um, You know, when, you know, when the boss is saying the deadline or the, you know, I mean, just the way we live, right. The way we live is to go, go, go all the time to do a million things. Um, I think this is especially complicated for moms, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to raise kids and have the kids do all the stuff, you know, all of it. Right. Yeah. And instead of being able to just say, you know, right now I just need some time to myself, um, you know, and then spending that time feeling guilty or something, you know. Right, right. Um, Which is why I get up early before anybody else. So I don't feel like I'm taking that time away from my family. Right, right. That's what it feels like. Right. Right. Yeah. Even though that that probably is a... um, probably something that, you know, and this is, I'm not talking about you specifically, but Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thinking that we probably all need to work on changing. Yeah, absolutely. Somehow by taking care of myself in, I'm taking something away from my kids or, you know, I don't know, whatever, but you know, that's true for all of us. You know, I think we all feel a certain amount of uh, need to just go. Um, And, you know, I think all this, all this kind of contemplative practice stuff, whatever it is, whether you're doing meditation or, or going to a yoga class or going for a walk um, is a way of saying to yourself, stop, just, you know, it's okay for you to feel whatever, to think whatever, to experience whatever's going on inside of Yvonne or Joe and not have that be, you know, something you can't tolerate and, you know, it's okay. Uh, And then go back into, whatever you need to go back into, yeah. but it's hard for people. Yeah. It's so including, hard. Including me. <laughs> exactly. Um, who, who's one of the poets that this is coming out of left field all of a sudden, but who's one of the poets that, that has really given you inspiration? Oh man. Comes, who's the first, first name pops to mind. So Stanley Kunitz is a poet that comes to mind. He's got a poem called Layers that I just absolutely adore. Um, he's, How I don't do know if- Kunitz? I got to check. I think it's K-U-N-I-T-Z. Okay. That could I'll be, have that to could try be to wrong. put that in the show notes somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll find it and send it to you. Okay. Um, he's an incredible poet. Um, Mary Oliver obviously is a really wonderful, wonderful poet. What I love about Mary Oliver, which is one one of the things she's been criticized over the years about, is that her poetry is simple. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I I would imagine in the literary circuit circuit that's a little complicated, but um, you know, so she's had a lot of criticism about that, but I love it. It's just straightforward. I get it. Mm. It's easy for me to understand. Yeah. It's so nature focused, um, yeah. which has really really been helpful to me. Um, so those are a couple of people. Marilyn Robinson, who's a um, African American poet who lives here in Connecticut. Um, she was on the faculty at UConn for a long time. And um, anyway, she's a she's a beautiful poet. Um, Padraig Otuma is an Irish poet I love. I know. Um, yes, you've yeah. brought those. Uh, yeah. yeah. W.B. Yeats is what another would be Irish a, what poet. What would be a favorite, Padraig? Uh, uh, say it again, Padraig. Otuma. 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 Uh, so in, Engl- in English, he'd be Patrick o- Otumi. Oh, okay. Um, but that's the Irish particular way. poem? Oh man, he's got a lot of them. Um, what poem would come to mind? Um, oh, I'd have to look, Yvonne. Um, But I, I can, I can, uh, I can get you some poems of his. Let's see. Hold on a minute. Can I just take a quick look? Of course you can. And in the meantime, too, I'm pulling. I'm going to surprise you here. I, I looked up some of your stuff. What do you? I I know I talked to you about you possibly reading a little of your poetry uh-huh. today and uh, did you did you end up uh, bringing anything sure I'm happy to do that and then and then I did pull a couple of um, things from from your Instagram feed that I love um, okay so, so um here's so here's a poem that I I, uh, I think is terrific of Otuma's now what you have to know about Padraig Otuma is he's he's not only a poet he's a um, He's a, a guy that um, used to run uh, the Corimila community, which is in Northern Ireland, which is dedicated to peace and reconciliation. And in Northern Ireland, you know, they've had mm-hmm. strife for years and years. So he's got a poem called The North of Ireland, or The, the Northern of Ireland, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want me to read it? Yeah. It is both a dignity and a difficulty to live between these names perceiving politics in the syntax of the state. And at the end of the day, the reality is that whether we change or whether we stay the same, these questions will remain. Who are we to be with one another? And how are we to be with one another? And what to do with all those memories of all those funerals? And what about those present whose past was blasted far beyond their future. I wake, you wake, she wakes, he wakes, they wake, we wake, and take this troubled beauty forward. So, you know, he's talking about that, you know, is it the North of Ireland or Northern Ireland or, you know, how how people define things and what does that mean? And that whole idea of wake. And, yes. And waking, like coming from a sleep, but also waking, like as in a funeral. Oh, yeah, yeah. going go into the wake and also waking up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pretty powerful. That is so stuff. that's just one of his poems I really like. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I do have one of yours. I'm going to. Uh oh. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, well, unless it's one that you chose. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the title. Well, what is it? It's the, one, it's the one you chose. Uh, not today. No, I didn't choose that. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Is it okay if I read it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. 
some mornings I look in the mirror and say, no. Some mornings I look at the people in my life and say, no. Some mornings I look at the sky and say, no. Some days I curse my own shadow. Some days I refuse my own good. Lost in waves of self-pity, anxiety, fear. Whatever gets stuck in my head and circles round and round, I just keep saying no. But not today. Today I noticed. Noticed a little white wildflower growing in the lawn, just waiting for me. Today I noticed. Noticed beauty in the smallness of that moment. Who am I not to notice? Noticed beauty all around me. Noticed that I am loved. Noticed that I notice that I am alive. That's awesome, Joe. Thanks. I never heard anybody read my poems before. That was really lovely. Thank I you. Love that one. Me too. So I was mowing the lawn and I just looked down and there was this little tiny white flower, you know, your basic weed. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, that's where that poem came from. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you for reading that. Yeah. So we'll trade off. What do you want? Okay. <laughs> so, um, I pulled out my coronavirus poems. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, I, I wrote a handful of poems during coronavirus. Um, so maybe I'll read a couple of those if that's okay with you. Of course. All right. So this first one is called Outbreak. When my own breath is choked with fear when I find myself afraid of isolation and loneliness, when I find myself helpless and unsure, when my work is taken from me by the need to stay away, when I find my desire for control ripped from my hands, when I discover that I am not the master of my own destiny, but linked deeply, breath by breath, with the whole world, what can I do to save myself? Start by going into the garden. Turn the dirt over in your hands. Let your fingers dig in deep, your fingernails turning black. Feel the cold earth as you weed and dig. Let your knees sink in, your jeans a patchwork of dirt, a job well done and prepare again for the resurrection of the world. Wow. So I wrote that probably in March. Um, So, um, and then here's another one that I wrote last summer Mm -hmm. um, that isn't a coronavirus poem, but I've been working on it uh, a little bit this summer. It's called Gluttony, the Good Kind. The Rose of Sharon is in full bloom, awake and open for business. A bumblebee, who is much too skinny for August, rummages around the flower, completely drenched in pollen. So thick you barely notice the bee, if not for her constant movement. I think to myself, what a glutton. But she's a glutton in that gorgeous way a baby is covered with applesauce in a high chair laughing and slapping the table as she stuffs her mouth full of full, her mother belly laughing with delight. 
the way someone who just finished the race drinks their water, pours it over their head, desperate to cool down and replenish, but also so satisfied with themselves. The way the dog tears at the bone you just gave him, like it's his first time, and he's not sure you won't try and take it back. The way a grandfather and his granddaughter share a chocolate ice cream cone, sitting sweetly on the bench, the little one with chocolate all over her mouth, enthralled by her choice. The old man, his arms wrapped around her, enthralled by her. The way some people eat corn on the cob with purpose, digging their teeth in, cleaning each row as if they're plowing the field, knowing full well they'll need to floss. Gluttony in a good way, savoring and loving with gusto. Of course, we should not be gluttons for food or other things that make us greedy, but maybe the world would feel better if we were all gluttons for each other. Joe, <laughs> that was beautiful. Can I read you one more? Of course, keep them coming. This one's not so uh, positive. <laughs> it's back to the back to the coronavirus virus ones. Um, let me see. So this is called the labyrinth in the middle of the churchyard graveyard during a pandemic. So um, back earlier in the in the spring, I sat down to do my um, my contemplative practice and thought, screw that, and got up out of the chair and went for a walk and ended up at St. Paul's, the church right here on the green. Mm -hmm. um, and had a very nice contemplative moment. And so this poem comes out of that. The labyrinth in the middle of the churchyard, church graveyard during a pandemic. I tried to sit in the stillness this morning. It's hard to sit still when you're forced to stay put. I made a fire, listened for the birds, bowed my body a little in prayer. I walked and walked to the church with the graveyard with the labyrinth. First, I walked through the rows of old tombs, hoping this moment passes over me, us. Well, to be honest, I was thinking about me. Fear can grip us with the eye. I moved on to the we, hoping that we won't find ourselves nearer to the grave. I walked through the graves, reaching out, touching some, admiring the little blue flowers spread over the churchyard. I don't know their name. I wish I did. I would like to know more about this world we call home. I walked through the graves, careful not to disturb old gray stones that flash with silver when the sun is just right. I walked the labyrinth round and round to the center, following my shadow as I turned from the sun. At every turn, turn I stopped to pray for salvation. So there's a, those are some of my coronavirus ones and the gluttony one from last summer. That is um, lovely. Wow. Yeah, thanks. I mean, was, those were, those were all those coronavirus ones were written, you know, right when things were really pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, March, April. 
Um, so, uh, so I was feeling, you know, well, you can tell what I was feeling. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to surprise you with one more. Okay. Okay. Um, yep. which is lovely. And it looks like you posted this, uh, in October of 2018. Okay. Uh, a while ago, you posted it with a, a photo of, um, I think they're black eyed Susans. Okay. Those, those are the yellow ones, right? With the black. Yeah, with yeah. the little black in the center. Yeah. Yeah, a really pretty picture. Um, today, I am going to search for beauty. I will not ignore the peril all around. I will just try and remember that beauty is also all around and is essential to our well-being. Kindness, the people I love, a flower, a beautiful conversation. Beauty is all around. And I will not forget to notice. I don't even know if you meant that to be a poem. I don't think I did. But I, but I like did. it as a poem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. And a that's great, great thing right in the middle of coronavirus. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, so what... Here's a tricky question for you. What do you, okay, here, here's, here's a neat thing. My, my friend, uh, Jen, you know, Jen, mm -hmm. her um, daughter is a uh, Girl Scout and they've been doing this thing called the, the rose, the thorn in the bud. Okay. Are you familiar with this? No. Very cool. So um, at the end of every day, they've been doing, um, you know, what was the rose of the day? What was the best part of the day? was the oh, okay. turn of the day um and then what is the bud what are you looking forward to um tomorrow or in general so i'm gonna ask you about the bud oh boy <laughs> <laughs> is there anything well so that's sort of a loaded question at this time in my life but <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, I should have warned you on this one. I uh, know it's, <laughs> um, the nice thing about where I am in my life is, um, I'm pretty, um, pretty happy and op uh, willing to be vulnerable about things. Um, and you know, in, in some ways that's easy for me because of who I am, you know, and I don't mean because of who I am, like I've, you know, I've got, you know. I'm more resilient than other people, but when you're a, you know, white middle-aged man with a good job and all those things, you know, being vulnerable is not that threatening. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm willing to do that. So, so for me, the bud is um, the, so the spiritual practice that needs to happen for me right now to become closer to the fullness of who Joe Callahan is, is about my body. So, um, as you know, I'm overweight. I've been overweight a long time. Um, uh, really, I probably started to put on weight after my mother died, which is uh, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I've just, you know, accelerated that train uh, at different times. So, and, you know, and, and so all of the time that I've been doing the things that you and I've been talking about, that's always been kind of a backdrop for me of a place of that fraudulent feeling that we have. Mm -hmm. How could I, how could I be someone who 
could say to someone else, um, care for yourself. And here's a way mm. when I look the way I look. So, um, you know, and so mostly what I've done is sort of put that on the back burner and just gone ahead with trying to be the best I can be anyway. And, you know, and, and I know that th those are, those are my concerns. They're probably not your mm -hmm. concerns. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, but now in my life, you know, for a lot of reasons that has come to a place where I feel an urgency around change, not just from a health perspective, while I, that's obviously a really important component, but um, I, I don't feel like, I feel like it's a challenge for me to go deeper you know, if I spread those boats apart a little bit and dive in the water, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I can go too deep if I don't change that piece of things mm -hmm. because, because it's not fully integrated. Right. So I've, it, it feels to me like I've got my life too compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. So I've got this spiritual practice. That's very often pretty good. Mm -hmm. I've got this life of service that I, that I do, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty good. Um, I've been writing these poems that, you know, are okay. Um, I don't know what the poetry world would think of them, but I like them. I know. What um, I, I think they're beyond pretty good. Well, thank you. Personally. Um, and I, I've got a wonderful family. I've got tremendous friends like yourself. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed beyond what anyone would deserve. Um, but I've got this body that I don't, allowed to be its best self. So my spiritual practice is to change that so that it, so I can take all those things I just said and integrate them into one wholeness. Mm. Um, because the point of the spiritual journey, at least for me and, and any kind of um, practice of what we might call the mystical practice is about the journey towards wholeness and not just wholeness of yourself, but wholeness in terms of your relationship to everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, moving away from the brokenness of the world, the, um, the relationships I have, my own brokenness to wholeness, um, with God, the world, the universe, myself, you, um, etc. And so for me at the moment, that's my biggest stumbling block. That's kind of the, the bud for me. If I could, if I could, I think if I can align my life in a way that my body lines up with the rest of me, or at least the way I think about me, um, that would be really good. That's a great thing to look forward to. And you know, it, it, something just occurred to me. I mean, you guys did the, um, the sprint triathlon, right? The yeah. Bossman. Um, John and I were just talking about that a couple within the past few days. What year was that? So we we've actually done that three times. Right, right. The first <laughs> one though. When, when um, I think it was two thousand and ten. That's what he told I think. me too, which just blows my mind because I feel like it was only like five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and as you're talking to me about your time frame with when you started this contemplative practice and when you started poetry. I think it's really interesting that there's a tie-in to when you decided to make a change at that point physically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? It is. I never thought of that. Um, of course that didn't take 
take hold in a way that I hoped it would at the time. But um, but you did continue. Like I I would contend that that the 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 challenge that you gave yourself to um, train for that first triathlon and to to do that may have I, I'm just guessing maybe that that was a trigger for some of this other inside work that you've been doing. Yeah, I, I don't I know. I, I, I hadn't, know. I hadn't thought about that. I, I'll think about that. That's a good, that's a good thought. Um, I think, you know, and, and I, I, so, you know, back to this, you know, we were talking about Western Christianity earlier and, um, you know, knowing more about that than most people. One of the things that's true about Western spirituality is that it splits the body from the soul. Mm-hmm. So the body is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how we get all the problems we have with sexuality and all these things, right? right. The body's the body's bad. The soul is good. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I've internalized that in some way or another. You know, not in a way that you know is conscious to me, but right. just that's as part as of the. It, it's just right? part of the ether, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I I was thinking about that a couple months ago, thinking, you know, son of a bitch. I mean, you know. So I've, you know, treated my body like it's bad, Yeah. you know, because my soul is what's important. Now, I, I don't know that that's really what's going on, but it's another thought I had that, that, uh, you know, it, you know, you know, in the, in the Eastern traditions, they're much more integrated about these things, right? Yeah. You know, one thing matters as much as the other thing. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know the answer to your question about whether or not when we started this sort of, you know, John and I started to really think about exercising, um, how much that coincided with some of these other things, but they're certainly in the same time frame. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, you know, you mentioned that, that you didn't stay with it or whatever, but, but again, I think you've been on and off with it, you know, yeah. I mean, it's oh, never sure. been something you completely gave up on. Nope. You no, know? you've had some, physical challenges along the way and yeah, things yeah. that it's, stopped you. Yeah. You know. And it's, um, and it's also never been anything that I've devoted myself to. Right. So both of those things are true. Right. Um, and you know, and, and I guess that's the bud, right? Like, can I devote myself to this is, is the question that I'm not really asking myself. I'm just trying to walk that walk, yeah. devote yourself to this Joe. Yeah. And you know, and, and because I think for me, it will, if I devote myself to it and am able to change this particular issue in my life, it will open up things for me in a way that I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't mean open things up like, you know, I'll get a new job or something, uh, but, but internally open things up for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess that's one of the things I'm, I'm exploring with this, this podcast is, is, um, in midlife where we find ourselves, uh, maybe with, you know, all the things we've, we've failed at over time, you know, there's the things where we've got under control that we've, we're, we're really good at. There's the things that we constantly come up against the wall with, right? Personally. Well, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I I guess I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by how, how do you in midlife get past that feeling of 
it's never worked before, you know, or I were, it did. And then I went back that one step forward, two steps back. How do you, how do we, how do we get past like those little things that, that are there for us? Well, you know, it's, it's such a funny thing because, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with your husband about this particular issue for years. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how to get over this hump. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we've come up with every possible way. Um, and they all make sense, you know, like everything from Nike's just do it to, you know, make a plan to, you know, you know, all this stuff people do. Right. right. And as I said, beginning, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of a random abstract guy. So if I go to the gym today, great. If I go, don't go tomorrow. So what, you know, that's, sort of, mm -hmm. and you know, and, but I guess what I think is that, you know, in my midlife, my focus has shifted so much because of some of it, because of necessity, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, I wasn't always overweight, you know, <laughs> when I was a young man, I didn't have to think about my weight because I wasn't overweight. Right. Um, um, so, so in one sense, it's a, a matter of necessity. Um, but it's also, I think at some point, a matter of you know, just where you are in the journey of life, right? So I'm, I, my children are mostly grown, um, you know, I mean, they are grown. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not focused on, in, in the same way, I'm not focused on fathering that I would have been 10, 20 years ago. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm different, you know, just by the, the nature of getting older is like, you know, my, things change. I'm interested in different things. And um, so I think for me, it, this is what I've discovered over the last 15 years. And, and I, I say that I'm going to say this word and it's going to sound weird, but I don't mean it to be. I want to be holy. Mm -hmm. And I, so with an, with an H and with a WH. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, you know, like a saint. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I want to be a person who is fully himself. Thomas Merton, who's a, a monk and, a, and a, um, a holy man himself, says the definition of being a saint is to be fully yourself. Mm. So I want to be fully myself. And um, Great. I also know that being fully myself will never end until I'm ended. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, you're never done. Yeah. But I know that, that this particular issue we're talking about at the moment, weight is keeping me from fullness. Mm. Um, if I blew off my spiritual life altogether, that would be another way of keeping me from fullness. So the more and so the the place right now that keeps me farthest from the from myself from the fullness of yourself yeah is yeah. is is you know physical issues yeah that don't have to be there they're of my own making you know that kind of thing yeah. um so so that's the bud for me is if i want to be fully me i need to be fully integrated and that particular issue is the problem for me yeah. somebody else has another one <laughs> uh that's the one for me yeah i love it um i think 
I think. Oh, I'm just going to ask you one last thing before we go. Okay. And then can I read you one more poem? <gasps> oh, yes, please. That would be awesome. I was hoping we would end with a poem. Um, I wanted to know, um, we talked about you know, uh, your, the poets that have, have moved you. And this doesn't have to be poetry related, by the way, mm -hmm. but what are you reading now? So I just picked up a book. Uh, well, I picked it up a couple months ago and just started it the other day. It's called, um, um, Oh God. Is it's called together. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, it's by the, uh, former Sur surgeon general of the United States, whose name is escaping me now, but it's about loneliness. Oh, and the power of connection. Um, yes. What's his name? I heard a great interview with him on yeah. Renee Brown's podcast. I yes, think it yeah, was, yeah. Right? Did yes, you hear yes. that one? No, I didn't, but I heard him talk about it somewhere else. Um, so it's called Together, and it's about, so when he was the Surgeon General, he um, did all these listening tours around the country about different, you know, health-related issues, expecting to be talking about the opioid crisis or diabetes or things like that. And he certainly was, but the profound experience he had was a country of loneliness um, mm -hmm. and disconnection. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, um, he really wanted to think about that problem as a public health issue um, and so he's written this book together, um, which I just have started. So I'm, I'm only in chapter one, uh, but that's what I'm reading at the moment. Very so. exciting. I'm so glad you reminded me of that one and it's going on my list for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's going to be excellent. Um, cause he's really, he's not just talking about, um, you know, what loneliness is and the problem of loneliness, but also how to, what we can do mm -hmm. about it. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, the reality is that the, the power of connection is, is the most important thing for us. Yeah, and I remember him talking about how impactful loneliness is on our health. Right, that, right. The, and that's why he wants to address it as a health issue, that it, that there, it, is, a, it is an instigating factor in so many diseases that he has seen. Uh, that is a pattern that came came out for him. Yeah, we go, I'm I'm gonna have to read that. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's um it it looks like it's gonna be a really good read, and I agree that those, you know, it is it is you know I I think about in my work in grief work in you know therapy, mm -hmm. which we didn't we didn't really talk about, but in the work of grieving, one of the experiences that's universal for people is they feel alone. Mm -hmm. Um, that you know like nobody's paying any attention, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody came to the funeral and then that's it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody's bringing it up anymore. Right. You know, those once kinds you, of things. What is it? John says, once you finish the last lasagna. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, By the way, I'm going to, I'm going to write a, either an essay or a poem using that line. The, the, the you know, once the lasagna is gone. <laughs> um, and so interesting, like how we're in this collective grieving right now you know, in so many levels. Yeah. And in some ways all by ourselves. Right. Even though we're together. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it highlights the need for connection because look how, look how much suffering we're having just by the fact that we're not able to connect yeah. physically. I mean, physically. Yeah. Like this is lovely that you and I can talk on the, on the computer screen 
it's even it's lovely that you can sit in my backyard or or whatever yeah but neither of us think it's the same no it's not and you know it's like the other night when when we were done and steven was leaving and you know we wanted to give him a hug hug. yeah (laughs) no and you know just (laughs) oh i'm a hugger it yeah. is it is so painful because I am yeah. like a big hugger. That yeah. is something yeah. I get yeah. like I get real um uh I, I miss but I miss but that habits. but that was that was not just habit. Right. I mean while it was of course it was habit, it was also desire. Right. You know, probably not conscious on John's part, yeah. but desire for that connection that you know we all want all the time. Yeah. Um and then realizing, oh, I can't do that, you know. Yeah. Um and being but I will probably, say one of the things, sorry to interrupt. No, um, that's okay. I was just, it just made me think you're, you're talking about how lovely it is that we can be here on this Zoom call and seeing each other. Um, I think one of the things that has saved me from that, like an extreme sense of loneliness right now is I'm getting all the clumped. Is that this is available to us. Mm-hmm. And I've, this is so funny, but I have actually made friends during this pandemic that were not in my life before Yeah. via networking groups. And prior to now, uh, the idea of like networking and quotes and air yeah, quotes, yeah. awful, awful, awful. <laughs> Ugh, that's just an awful word. But um, there've been a couple of groups that I've uh, been regularly joining once a week or daily and they're people that weren't in my life before and because of this technology they're like i've got new friends you know it's awesome and it's a different kind of friendship it's it's weird it's you know i have that physical proximity you know yeah it's it's different right and i have i have three people that i'm seeing in therapy now Mm -hmm. only one of them have i ever seen in person Wow, really? You know, because she and I started working together before the coronavirus. The other two people were referrals afterwards. They've yeah. both lost someone they loved during the, the pandemic. Wow. But I I don't know what they look like standing up. You know, right. They don't All know what you I know look is like. shoulders up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they when they see me, they see what you see right now, even though I'm wearing gym shorts underneath. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it's it's weird, but also somehow really intimate. Yeah, such a such a strange time we're living in. Okay, it is. Let's 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 end this on a on a poem. With a poem. Okay, so uh, this is one of the my favorite poems that I've written. So that's why I want to read it to you. It's called Saint Kevin, Seamus, and Me. Um, and so there's a little backstory. So Saint Kevin is a probably, I don't know, sixth century Irish saint who founded a monastery in a place called Glendalough in Ireland. Beautiful place. And there's a story about St. Kevin that he's out in the woods praying and he's got his hands out, you know, praying like, like you see the priest do with his hands out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, the monastery bell, bell rings for him to come back to prayer. But um, in the meantime, a blackbird has landed in his hand and the blackbird starts to um, build a nest. And so Kevin, yeah. So, so Kevin has to decide, do I go back to the church to pray or do I stay here and let the bird finish the nest? Uh-huh. And 
you know, once she finishes the nest, she's going to lay eggs. And then I got to wait for the eggs to hatch. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. so Kevin stays there with his arm out and does it. So this is a, a story that's been told for centuries. It's a great mm -hmm. story about compassion and love and all those things. It's also a story about the mystic, right? I don't have to run to the church. I can stand here in the woods and let the blackbird land in my hand. Mm -hmm. And as much God there as anything. Yeah. So Seamus Heaney, who's another one of my favorite poets, who's an Irish poet uh, who died a couple of years ago, uh, wrote lots of wonderful poems. He won the Nobel Prize. Um, but anyway, Seamus Heaney wrote a poem called um, uh, St. Kevin and the Blackbird. So I wrote a poem called St. Kevin, Seamus, and Me. So here it is. Sometimes I pray like St. Kevin and his blackbird I stretch out my hands in prayer, hoping for a landing. Kevin, open to the eternal, a thousand times putting his hand out the window, letting go, waiting for the bird to come and rest. I too sometimes wait. I try too to lose myself in prayer, letting the bird land in my open hand, self-forgetful, eternal. Imagining myself a man of prayer, a monk here in this house, living in this cell. A cell that feels small, too many people, too many responsibilities, not enough windows, not enough blackbirds, never enough time for the self-forgetful, eternal. Kevin and I find each other over centuries across the ocean living together in Seamus's poem and in our prayers, listening for the monastery bell. The blackbird lands because his arms are outstretched. His hand is open. I too can stretch and let myself be open, my body a prayer, waiting for a landing in my open hand. That's it. I love it. And by the way, you guys won't be able to see this, but I almost read that one to you. <laughs> That's funny. I'm so glad you finished with that. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's beautiful. It's really yeah, beautiful. I love, um, I love that I too can stretch and let myself be open. My body a prayer waiting for the landing in my open hand. Mm. All right, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> That's it. We're good. <laughs> Love it. Oh, Joe, thank you. Well, thank you, Yvonne. I, I um, you know, as I said um, in the beginning of this conversation, that uh, you know, we both were talking about feeling like frauds, and mm -hmm. um, this conversation helped me not feel that way so much. Oh, me too. Thank yeah. you. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's been a beautiful time. Thank you. I really appreciate you uh, giving me the chance to come on. And it's been a real honor. And I, I just been loving your podcast and oh, keep going. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. I love it. All right. Good stuff. Well, there you have it. If you are still listening, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the poetry and I will be sure to put links in the show notes so you can check out some of the other poets and books that were mentioned. 
hey, before I go, next week I will be talking to Kimberly Miner, who spent most of her career in retail merchandising in a variety of roles, uh, most recently as Senior Vice President, Strategy, Merchandising Operations, Home, Gifting and Accessories, and Third Party for Bath and Body Works. That's a mouthful, right? And if it sounds like she had a lot of responsibility in that role, well, she did. Most of her life, she found herself in the role of, you know, that person that people look to to get through a crisis. And that was both in her personal and her private life. Now, she's left the corporate world and leads a community of women business leaders. So we'll talk about that and what that pivot has been like for her. By the way, if you enjoyed this, please leave a rating and review. Reviews are key in helping to spread the word about this podcast so it can reach the right people. So I'd really appreciate that if you take a second. Um, In the meantime, I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well and talk soon.